Welcome to the DGR Podcast. I'm your host, David Gray. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. For today's episode, we actually have two guests. We have Katie St. Clair and Jill Zimmerman. So Katie is a trainer and SNC coach. Jill is a physical therapist. I think this is going to be our Christmas episode because when I started the call, they were dressed up in their Santa Claus outfits and singing Christmas songs at me. I won't say to me or they weren't singing for me. It was very much an attack of song. So I managed to start the recording just towards the end of one of the songs. So I hope you enjoy that part as much as I did. But we actually spoke quite a bit about different things. We spoke a little bit about business. Uh, So Katie and Jill are both very successful in the industry. They work with clients still, but they also coach and mentor other coaches and therapists. So it's interesting to get their take on their business models. They're two separate entities and they work separately and they have different business models. So it's interesting to get their take on that. Um, We did a little bit of a deep dive into the pelvic floor. I don't want you to think about okay, I'm not a pelvic floor therapist or I don't work with people who have pelvic floor issues in terms of they just weed themselves and I don't know what to do about that and I don't work with clients who have that. But I want you to think about more with regards to these are a group of tissues that we want to be able to understand. We don't need to be super detailed and understand every single intricacy of these tissues. We just want to understand what these tissues should be doing or maybe are doing or aren't doing as we move through a squat versus a deadlift versus a plyometric movement how that might have an impact on like my tight hips or my tight back or how my rate of force development or or whatever so I think there's important stuff there for us to all maybe understand and I think Katie and Jill helped me a little bit with that as well we spoke about training more yielding type of qualities which is related to the pelvic floor as well the ability to yield and um and actually kind of sink into some movements a little bit i actually gave my thoughts on some plyometric type movements and when i might use more yielding qualities when i might use more kind of stiffness and reactive type movements and for who so that's the first time i kind of articulated that out loud to anyone else bar myself So hopefully I was able to articulate that relatively well. You might actually pick up throughout the podcast on a little bit of emotion coming out in Katie's voice. The reason is, if you don't know already, her son had quite a serious accident earlier on in the year. And obviously it's been a tough year for her and her family. So if you pick up on that emotion, then that is why. And towards the end of the podcast, we actually chat a little bit more about that. So that's what you're hearing there. Katie wouldn't want you to think she's a crazy cat lady or anything like that. It's just been obviously a tough year for her and her family. And it was nice to hear her talk about that as well. So I hope you enjoy the podcast. As always, give us a like, give us a share, give us an old shout out. Don't be afraid. Don't be lazy. Don't leave me short. It's Christmas, remember. So subscribe and all of that stuff. Uh, Let me know if you like the podcast with Katie and Jill and um, happy Christmas. Here we go. Together with you. <laughs> I have you. <laughs> kitty up, kitty up, kitty up. Let's go. Let's look at the snow. Oh, I didn't I know them lines. It's really good. good. Excellent. Well, uh, Sorry, we're just getting started this morning. That's okay. Apparently, so is David. He just sent the link a minute ago. <laughs> oh, I thought she had the link. That's Kira's well, fault. Well, I was like frantically trying to find it last minute, like. Do I have the link? And Maybe then you not. It over and I was like, thank God. That's on the record now. That's Kira's fault. 
<laughs> no, it's probably, probably somewhere. I just didn't have it on hand. No, we'll blame Kira. We'll blame Kira. How are you? Good. Um, I'm. I'm. I'm putting all of this on YouTube, Jill. What are you eating? Breakfast. Peanut butter, nuts. She so, eats like the same thing. I eat the same thing every day. Shantae <laughs> said to do it. Did you say that yesterday? Well, Shantae said Shantae said to do it, but I did it anyway. But <laughs> she said to eat the same thing. She said eat the same thing every morning, and I do, mm -hmm. which is really funny. She said that. Mm -hmm. um, Makes sense. Oatmeal, banana, blueberries, peanut butter, walnuts, maple syrup. Nice. Sometimes I throw a little frozen cranberries in there, you know, just yep. for a little bit of extra vitamins. I thought you were going to say sometimes I throw up. <laughs> sometimes I'm like, oh, she's. But never I still eat the same thing. I still do it. She's never come to my house without food. Immediately when she walks in the door, she pulls out her lunch or her breakfast or whatever it is, and she starts eating every single time. Fact. I swear for like Fact. two years. She actually is there, is there not is she there not food in the St. Clair household? <laughs> no, no oh, food in God. your fridge, Katie. Yeah. Oh, and I eat all our kids like gummy bears and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, we're just going to start the podcast. Okay. Did, you, did you get the we questions I sent? We cannot wait to talk about the pelvic floor. Okay. <laughs> Not in like super detail. Don't worry. But like, we'll have a know, chat about it. Detail, but everybody asks us about the pelvic floor. I know. Yeah, I know. Probably <laughs> not in this way, though. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. You got tricks up your sleeve. No, I don't really, but, um, but just with regards to like, because obviously I, I'm just starting this podcast, but we have Jill, the real Jay-Z, uh, Jill Zimmerman, um, and I don't have a nickname for Katie, but we have Katie Sinclair with us as well. So you're very welcome. How are you? Good? Good. Very good. Thank you for having us on. You're welcome. So yeah, I sent some questions before, just to make sure you were okay with that. I don't usually send questions or get questions sent to me either do you like if you're going on a podcast do you like getting questions beforehand i have been on one podcast where i got like a three-page paper of questions oh really yes and i looked at it and didn't think about it before the podcast so i don't yeah. really even get matters yeah. unless there was something like extremely specific that they wanted to get into, you know. Yeah. yeah, I don't require it. If they want to send it, I'll look at it and kind of start thinking, but I don't need to start thinking. Sometimes if I start thinking, I'm like, I get all in my head. I kind of just like to, like you, David, I just like to flow with it. Just Yeah, I'm the same. It. I don't like to, to, it becomes so manufactured, like. Yeah, I don't like, like that feeling. Rehearsing your answers. Mm, yeah. You know? But that's the same with the, I find, I know you started your podcast as well, but that's the same with my, interviewing i know what i want to chat about but i don't want to be like super super like this is what i have to ask because it feels like a robot then and i just want it to be more of a conversation you know yeah it's too structured for sure i agree yeah we've only done two podcasts no we got four down oh four okay, okay. Yeah. well <laughs> you know we had double we've had life <laughs> life issues but we did write down questions yeah, we have like our own mindset of like who we want as hosts, but like we don't really send much over to the guests because we want it to kind of just be a more of a free flowing thing, which is kind of what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. cool. Works for us. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Do you live close to each other? We live in the same town, but we live um, on different sides of town. Well, sort of same big city. But so. her business is like right down the street. It's like a less than a mile. 
Okay. So like her work, my work is like five minutes away. My house is like 25 minutes away. Okay. So we're local to each other. And the gym that we work out in is like right down the street. Okay. In Four South Carolina. In South Charleston, South Charleston. Carolina. Yeah. Yep. Did you ever hear my South Carolina story? Did I ever tell you that? I feel like you did tell me this years ago. <laughs> First the reason I'm chatting to you right now is because of South Carolina. Why? Because I went on holidays to Myrtle Beach with my friends when I was 20 yeah. or 21, and I crashed a, a motorbike. The Myrtle Beach? <laughs> so good. The dirty, the dirty, dirty Myrtle? Myrtle. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. I, I, yep. We were all, we all got like, I don't know what you would call them. It's not a motorbike, like a moped. Yeah. Um, like a yeah. And um, we went shooting guns for the day, uh, all like everything. And then we were like, yes, so it was the most American day. And then we were like, literally three minutes from the motel uh, and uh, like a dirty motel. And um, yeah, one of my friends like, like kind of slammed on the brakes to shout at all these girls that were walking. And I was like directly behind him on my one. And I had to like, I had to like slam on the brakes and I hit this paper bag. (laughs) <laughs> and just absolutely destroyed my knee on the floor and my life oh, changed that day. I would have loved to have been the person in charge of like renting out guns to a bunch of like Irishmen coming <laughs> <to> Myrtle <laughs> Beach. <laughs> be like, sign these papers. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So you're the only people I know, I think, from from that part of the world. Um yeah. we're not actually from here originally. We just live here now. All right, okay. Yeah. yeah, it's important. To that is an important. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know how big it was because remember, Katie, I had a client in North Carolina. Oh, yeah. Uh, a couple of years ago. And I was like, oh, like I had rehabbed him with his Achilles. And I was like, you need to get into the gym and get stronger. And I was like, oh, maybe you could train with Katie. And uh, <laughs> it turned out it was like eight hours away. Yeah. Well, that's um, whenever I refer to people in Britain or Ireland or wherever. I always think it's like going to be close. And they're like, no, that's like on the other side of the country. I mean, my yeah, but the other side of the country in Ireland could four be hours max yeah. four hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you still probably could train with that person, <laughs> you know, but um, anyway, who wants to, do you want to give us like a little who you are? I think most people will know who you are, but like very small who you are. Sure. Um, I don't mind who goes first. I'm going to try and navigate this three way as we go along. But, um... Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm Jill Zimmerman. I'm uh, friends with Katie St. Clair here. We're friends <laughs> and we kind of work together in a weird way, but um, I'm a physical therapist. Katie is a, um, what do you call yourself? Person who works coach, out right? on the internet for money. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's personal trainer. I'm a strength yeah. coach. Strength coach. Yeah. I never, I always get confused on the, cause I'm not as familiar with the training world. So I I don't want to get anybody's titles messed up by calling them a trainer. If they're actually like an athletic (laughs) trainer, you know, I get confused. Yeah. Anyway, that's me and Kira were just talking about this yesterday though. Cause she like, you would call yourself a PT Jill. Yeah. 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 But a PT in Ireland is a personal trainer. Right. It is confusing. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now Kira doesn't call herself a PT anymore. She calls herself like she's very she's she's a trainer. Right, right. The distinction, even some of my clients still, you know, and I do some training too with my work. I kind of like hybrid the two, but 
they just, they just think I'm a trainer, you know, because I kind of have so much left the idea of what like a traditional physio or physical therapist is. And I've sort of done this more hybrid model that it, it, yeah. it is starting to get a little bit blurred, which is um, I think why Katie and I kind of have come together in the way that we have is sort of trying to blend uh, the disciplines a little bit and just kind of feed off of each other's strengths and try to like really come up with something great for the community. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Whenever she, um, whenever I met her, I was working at a big gym here as a contractor downtown, actually at the university. And, um, I, since Jason was in PT school, Jason's my husband, it for the rest of the world, <laughs> that doesn't know me. I was already like sort of bridging that gap anyway. And a lot of my referral sources were other PTs that were actual clinicians that worked at NUSC too. So they would refer and I kind of, so anyway, I was just trying to take care of people that had been to other trainers and they got hurt and I was just avoiding hurting people. That was it. I wasn't Mm -hmm. like doing any of the stuff I'm doing now. I was just good at like not choosing stupid exercises. (laughs) And then it evolved from there over the years. Cause that was, mm-hmm. you know, I think I was at NUSC for like 14 years. Yeah. It was a really long time. And I was yeah. thinking about this last night. We only met each other like four years ago. Yeah. Like it no, feels no. like 20, <laughs> but it was only like four years ago. But I was like making people blow up the balloons in the gym and Jill stopped me and was like, Hey, did you take a PRI course? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. I did. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to get mad at me. You're not allowed to blow balloons now. No. You get canceled if you blow up a balloon. <laughs> you can't. Social media get canceled. Yeah. <laughs> hey, the, hats are, the hats are off. I'm going to turn the heat off. Oh, wait, it is off. Um, yeah. I think we're all just kind of coaches, you know? Yeah. Coaches yeah, are good sure. word. Different, different backgrounds. Though I will say that the, the PT world will get all like, been out of shape about that yeah Mm -hmm. it's like you've got your doctorate and you better tell Mm -hmm. everybody in the world that you're a doctor and i'm Mm -hmm. i don't know i think i'm like alone in that that world of being like let's just like i don't know i don't want to downplay it but i'm also like we're not medical doctors and it's kind of confusing sometimes to make people think that (laughs) yeah look they should they should get bent out of shape a little bit about it because they like that that title or that signal is there to tell people like this is the work that I do, or I'm qualified to work with you in this way. Um, it is true. Yeah. But, I think but it doesn't that, mean they're good. That's true if you actually stand up to that work. Yeah. But I think a lot of people don't. I think that a lot of people yes. sort of like take the easy route and they're like, I got this degree. Now I can like sit back and cruise and like not like do much more learning and just kind of right. like, you know. And I just, and I don't think, I think I get a little annoyed with that part of it where it's like, well, I have my doctorate so I can do whatever I want. And that Mm -hmm. means just like sit on my butt and really not try. Mm -hmm. And I just, I think that that's where I see a lot more, I shouldn't say this, but I feel like there's more of an effort to like get ahead in the training world than I think in the PT world. Like once PTs become PTs, they're like, we've made it, we did it, we're here. Whereas mm-hmm. trainers are like, I always want to learn more. I always, I, like, I'm trying to like do more, learn more, like understand more. No, that's just because you hang out with like me and all these Maybe crazy that's people. Why. There's a lot of trainers who just like look at some trait. Well, I'm not going to say anything, but there are a lot of trainers who just walk in the door, have no plan for their clients and just sort of like throw exercises. That happens too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So I think we have the same thing in different industries. And I think the point is that instead of hating on each other, we need to come together together and and do more together. (laughs) And I've learned so much from Jill and I think she's learned from me too. Like we just, I, you know, if we're exercising, she's pretty much like, I don't know. You just tell me what to do because I'm picking exercises. That is my job. Mm -hmm. Whereas if it's sort of like a rehab thing, I'm going to kind of ask her and be like, well, what is that? You know, Mm -hmm. what does that mean? Like I do that with Jason all the time too. Like, can you explain that to me? Cause I have no idea. I've never heard of that before. Yeah. Like yesterday you were like, yeah, I have a client with like a hip label tear and I did this. Like, what do you think that that means? Yeah. You know, it worked, but like, can you tell me why you think it worked? You know? Yeah. Yeah. But like ultimately, like, don't you want to be able to just because let's say Katie might not be qualified or whatever to work with one of those clients or like a client who's just post-op or something like that. It shouldn't mean you don't want to understand it to like, you know what I mean? And then vice versa, just because Jill isn't working with like higher level, whatever it is training, you still want to be able to understand it. Right. So that you can, can have these conversations and, in theory, could coach that person no matter what end of the spectrum it is. It's just actually, no, I know my scope of practice and I'm not doing that. Right. Sure. Or know when to refer or understand what somebody's doing with another, you know, trainer or clinician outside of you. You know, it's kind of like a whole, we're all working together. So, so a lot of clients see lots of different people, um, you know, to get mm-hmm. to an outcome. And if you don't really understand what a trainer's doing with that client, yeah. Or you think you've got this bias, like, oh, well, you shouldn't be lifting heavy um, because you don't understand what lifting heavy is and how it works, then that's counterproductive for the client's mentality um, in front of you. Like they have to be confident that all the people they're seeing are all on the same page and that yeah. they're not like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Each other. Yeah, that's why it's it's frustrating for me at the moment to see people knocking so many different things like on Instagram and especially when they might have gone through a lot of like courses or something like that and they're starting to knock them courses then they still are able to speak that language if they need to and are able to see like understand even if they don't use they're still using that lens It it has helped shape them but and I have no problem if people don't agree with a certain system or a certain course or a certain thought process. But if they're if there's if they're knocking it, then they're maybe taking another younger, more impressionable coach or something, taking the opportunity from them to actually learn that for themselves, because now they're thinking, OK, this person doesn't agree with it, so I don't need to learn it. But actually, that person doesn't agree with it after learning it and now has has the benefit of all that knowledge and now decides what to what they can what they can and can use from it. Um, so yeah, maybe that's something slightly different. But yeah, they're all stepping stones, and then you come out with an, a new perspective that makes you think. So it's mm-hmm. like you have to learn how to think by taking all these different courses and deciding for yourself what makes sense to you, applying them to clients or patients, and saying this this worked, this didn't, why? And then kind of moving on from there. And that's like a learning process that you can't really like, you can't teach it to anybody and you can't learn it from somebody else, you know? Yeah. Yeah, That drives me nuts actually when people, you know, why in the world would it ever be appropriate to call out 
some system or it doesn't matter what it is. It progressed the industry to a certain point where you were able to learn something you didn't know. And mm-hmm. so everything has value. FMS might be old, but there's a ton of value in it. Mm-hmm. So is PRI and so is DNS and all these things. And to me, you know, that for my course, like I am like, I want to give it to you all. Like I want to try to help you like learn this and there are no dumb questions. And if you don't like this one viewpoint, because it doesn't resonate with you or you don't understand it, that's fine. How about this one? This one might be good for you. This might make sense for your clients. And I think that's like really the key in all of this is like never, never having to settle for one and never having to throw them all out. Like, Do what yeah. you want to do. And I, so I don't know why evolving. Like your course has evolved. I mean, every, every time you teach it, it evolves into something yeah. different because, yeah. you know, some time learning something different. You yeah, know? of course. Yeah. Exactly. I read a different was... book and I'm like, oh, I need to make a whole new lecture about that book. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was chatting to, to uh, our physio, Alice, about this like two days ago. And it was just like when you understand kind of first principles and understand how to think. And actually tr- seek understanding rather than seeking memorization, then it doesn't matter what system you use. You just you can just see what works and see what doesn't. Yeah. Uh, so like the more you can expose yourself to, the better if you have if you know how to think. If you don't know how to think, the more you expose yourself is like just more information. And now I don't know what algorithm to follow because they all have different algorithms. Where like. Actually, it doesn't matter. It's yeah, just right, understanding. Right. Thanks, you know. David, because I can't. I don't do well with the algorithms. <laughs> Critical thinking skills over here, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but the algorithms can help, right? Because, yeah. like, yeah, that's sure. that's a good way. It can be a good way to teach. Yes. Like at some point, okay, if this and this doesn't work, it might mean you might want to check out this with that client, but it doesn't mean like at some stage you have to get away from the algorithms. Right. Right. Like I think the algorithm, I think you're absolutely right. But sometimes I think people get stuck in the algorithm and then they can't think outside the algorithm. I've had so many online clients come to me and I'll tell them to do something. They're like, well, I shouldn't be doing that because I'm a, I'm a narrow ISA. I shouldn't be reaching overhead. And I'm like, (laughs) so you're a narrow ISA. You don't reach overhead anymore. Like, Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, it was like mind blowing to this person. And I'm like, yeah, you're going to reach overhead. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. You know? yeah. Because you say was pulling them down further and making him more hunched. I'm like, you got to get up and open, get up. Yeah. Yeah. I had a client exactly that yesterday. Like yeah. tried a few things, nothing was working. And she just kept saying, my sternum feels jammed. Yeah. Like that was the words. And I wasn't listening to her for a first session. And then the second session or maybe the third session. And she was like, she said it again, like my sternum feels jammed. I was like, shit. Like she, I just actually heard that for the first time. And we put her into hanging position, arms overhead, hanging like a lat hang. And she was yeah. like, that feels absolutely amazing. Yeah. And like all the tests improved. I was like, Fuck, why didn't I just listen? <laughs> I think that that is the most fun yeah. part about, I find that like helping people online or in person is that one little thing that like, nobody else caught the person can't even really feel it themselves. And then you see it or you hear it and you're like, that's it. I know that's going to be it. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's the brilliance of just doing it, doing the work, like having clients, seeing people in person, seeing, doing consults online, case studies. I mean, that's like Jill does these case studies every month. The whole reason she's doing that is so people can just freaking hop on and watch it. 
Because the more case studies, the more touches you have, Mm -hmm. the more you're going to be likely to be like, oh, wait, that's the thing. This is going to help that person like and jump to it quicker. Otherwise, it's still a process of like slowly like coming to which there's nothing wrong with that. When I first started out, I just like I'd sit down at the table and like write all this stuff out and I just stare at it and be like, what is happening here? And it took me forever. But now it's like quick. You know what I mean? And yeah. That's just repetition, I think. But that's accelerated learning. Don't do, you're never going to be able to apply that content to anything. You've got to see it. You got to watch people. Like it doesn't make sense on paper until you see it on a real person. Yeah. Yeah. And label it as that. That's, I genuinely believe, like, you know, the 10,000 hour rule and all that stuff. I think that's valid. But like, I think you can massively, massively accelerate your learning. If you can put yourself into a position where you have to do things and or see, like actually see other people doing things rather than like 10, 10, 10 hours reading the books about things. Yeah, you'll get good, but like you still don't really know what to do. I think yeah. people can get so and you've seen that definitely seen it in your course, Katie, with some people who've like really thrown themselves in. Um, they get so much better so quick, like so fast if they actually yeah. go and do it rather than. Like information is information is is it doesn't matter. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like if you Katie's got this cool course where she has like half um, content like learning and then the other half is like exercise programming. Mm -hmm. And I feel I don't know for sure, but I feel like the people who maybe just do one or the other maybe don't get as much out of it. But if you really like integrate the whole thing together and which is why she does it, which is what a lot of other courses are lacking, I feel like that's when it really takes off because you're like embodying it and you're feeling it in your own body. And then you're able to identify it on, on other people, which I think mm-hmm. is so cool. Yeah. Just try an exercise and then be like, Oh, that worked for me. I have this client who's, you know, compressed, you know, in their sternum, mm-hmm. you try it with them. Oh, it worked great. Cool. Yeah. You're just got to be a better trainer or therapist just from doing that one thing. Like yeah. it's like so simple, really, if you think about it, but we've complicated it so much um, with words, mm-hmm. like the complicated language. And I think it's okay to just like take some of those complicated terms and then say it very, very simply. Not mm-hmm. Jill actually is really good at that because I can sometimes forget to do that. And I have to like, she has to like rein me in and be like, no, just say this in like normal speak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, I'm know. like famous for taking other people's courses and then making my own course. <laughs> That's based off my own experience and really dumbs it down <laughs> so that it's like you can, it's, and it's like a mini version that can be applied more readily. Yeah. It's like the, um, what's the little, like, uh, when you were reading books and you had to like get the little notes that were go with the book when you didn't want to actually read cliff the notes. Cliff notes. Oh yeah. Like yeah. the cliff notes version. I bet you did read those all the time. I actually did it. Oh, okay. I was like, I'm not, <laughs> like, no. you can write a cliff books series <laughs> you should do cliff books for all of this nonsense it's essentially yep. what i do i just need to yep. like market yep. it, market that it. Way. Cliff books. yeah <laughs> diaphragm for dummies diaphragm. oh my god no i'm taking that no <laughs> you're a genius in fact i was actually going to reach out to you about marketing david i was talking to jill about that yesterday i don't think you need help with that i told her that's what i told her nah, i think i do i think i think you have 
one of the best marketing strategies in the entire business without even maybe realizing it. Without knowing it. Well, that's what she said. I don't know anything about what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think that your uh, your marketing is on point. Um, and that's why I said, I said, I said, Katie, your marketing, you don't, uh, you don't know the unintended messaging that you're sending to your, yeah. your audience. You are sending all this unintended messaging and that's what's getting people on board. And she's not even trying. She's just mm-hmm. being Katie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's, that's why I showed up in my pajamas. <laughs> I yep. didn't brush my hair this morning. <laughs> just for you, David. Thank like, you. <laughs> podcast at 7 a.m. For the record, Katie is, is it 7 a.m. with her pajamas on. <laughs> is it yeah, 7 a.m.? Oh shit. Okay. Sorry. Uh, another, at 645. That's another yeah. Kira. Kira Kira has to sort that out. I got up at six o'clock in the morning. It's okay. It'll make my day better because I'm like getting started. Why do you mm-hmm. think I have little eye patches on? Mm-hmm. Talk talk to me about what you think your marketing is then, Katie. Not don't give the game away, but like uh, give as much away as I want. think for me, I don't know that I have a marketing strategy. What I care immensely about a uh, truly deep down is my role as someone who facilitates another person's journey of learning in a way that makes them feel very comfortable to ask questions and just be themselves and not worry. Mm-hmm. And I think I just, have created a community. Like I always tell the EP, they're so amazing. And I'm just so grateful and thankful for them. Like every time I think about it, like I actually get like teary eyed because especially this year, they've just brought me, it's been a rough year. And mm-hmm. so I'm just so incredibly grateful. And so I think what I do is I'm a real human <laughs> who actually wants to hang out with them and teach and learn from them too. And just like allow it to be like, it's all of us together doing this, not mm-hmm. me like da 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 da, like parroting at you. Mm-hmm. So that was not like if you ask for an elevator pitch, I'm mm-hmm. not good at that. No, no. It's called <laughs> authenticity. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly, exactly. But the um, you've started let more. you've started let men into your thing, haven't you? Into your course, yes. yeah. And it was great. It was the last one that I did, and yeah. of course this one too. But. Um, yeah. And some wonderful guys have taken it and it's been mm-hmm. great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was nervous about that, to mm-hmm. be honest, because of my own hangups about certain things that mm-hmm. we don't need to go into on a podcast, but in my own insecurities, yeah, like feeling is if sometimes there's more ego in the room yeah. and not wanting that to be a part of the values that I hold for the space that I've created. Like it's really important for me to uphold some values within the community that I have. And and a lot of those are no ego whatsoever. Yeah. And in social media world, you see a lot of ego. Especially with men, right? Especially with men. Yeah. (laughs) But the men in my course have no, I've never experienced that. The last time nobody was like that. So that was my own me dumping my own, you know what I mean? That's not mm-hmm. necessarily true just because it's in social media land. A lot of people do that just to, that's their marketing strategy. That's how they're getting likes. That's, mm-hmm. and I, I understand that. And I respect that that's the way they choose to do it. Mm-hmm. And that may not be who they actually are deep down, if that makes sense. Yeah. You've set up a lot of good boundaries on it too. Like people know when they sign up for your course, like that's not a space for that. You know, like you're not going to bring that kind of behavior to that space and it's going to be tolerated, you know, whereas other environments <clears throat> may, might feed off of that sort of that 
that emotional state, you know, and I've so, been in environments that that was the case and mm-hmm. it was awful. And mm-hmm. I, I had a whole year where I was in an environment like that. And I, I'm, I'm sad that I wasted that year to be in that environment. Was I learning? Yeah. Could I've learned the same things in a different environment? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. A fish and goes bad right from right. its, a fish goes bad from its head. That's the saying. So like if you're, that? did you hear me? A fish goes bad from its what? From its head. So oh. have you ever heard that that before? Oh, no, like, so if the, if, if you were full of, if your messaging was all about ego and all of that stuff, you would attract all them people, Katie. And then like everyone down the line would, would copy you or, or in your uh, course yeah, would do the same thing. So yeah. like the top of the chain, you see that in any business, any company that the, everyone below the, that person reflects that person effectively and, and copies their behavior. So yeah. Um, yeah. What's happened twice in my life. One was early on when I was um, at university and <laughs> I just don't want it. I, it felt terrible, you know, yeah. and I actually had to drop out of the program because I couldn't, I couldn't manage my anxiety around that. Yeah. So I switched majors and yeah, you know, that's 24 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> it's over, but I just never, I don't want other people to ever have that feeling because yeah. I don't think it's necessary. And I've also been in really amazing learning environments. And I have some wonderful mentors that and colleagues that I just really look up to. I mean, you're one of them. Like when I contacted you, I knew I was contacting you, not just because of the information, which you had great information. And I was just starting down the rabbit hole of Franz Bosch and reading his book. I don't know if you remember this with Jill and I doing the consult. Yeah. And I, was, I, I think I look at people and I'm like, I would like to learn from that person because of the way that he is interacting with other people. And, and I see that and that makes me comfortable. Like mm-hmm. I could just ask you any question on that call. I didn't feel like uncomfortable. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, I think that's like the fast track to sometimes to getting to that point where you can use information. Like could Katie and I just go ahead and read all the books and take all the courses that you've taken? Sure. Mm-hmm. But like, and we can still do that, but it's also, there's so much value in like having a one-on-one moment with you where we get to like talk through things and like really, you know, talk to you about what, what has worked for you, what hasn't worked, like, you know, how you put all this stuff together and that helps us put it all together too, in a real practical way, you know, that's the accelerated learning. That's what it is. Accelerated learning. Right. The the information is out there. There is no, there is a complete abundance of information. That's the problem. Uh, but you like choosing someone when you pick your course that you're going to learn from or something you look at the top of the chain and you say does this person have good information like are they uh do they have good energy and do they have are they, uh, do they have good integrity and like yeah that's um there's there's loads of people that talk about that but they are the three big things that you're you're going to be looking for naval actually talks about that i don't know have you have you heard of naval talking before he's a big kind of talking head guy now but they're the three things and and if you can find those three things you can listen to some you could work with that person for the rest of their life um, on and off whenever you want it but yeah i think he put his name in your newsletter recently yeah yeah it did yeah i was gonna go back and look at it yeah you should listen to that that's a three-hour podcast that he has talks about all about how to get rich but it's not like being rich for the sake of being rich right it's not like yeah that's amazing i need i probably need that so what do you think my marketing message is david i'm gonna close (laughs) um as she walks away from the desk (laughs) (laughs) she's like 
Sorry, sorry, sorry. I closed the door. I opened it because it was hot and then now it's it got cold. Uh, um, I'm cold. You can see me shivering here. I don't know. Is my heater working? Um, look, I think you you were like a beacon of light for a lot of women who were, and Jill too, who are like, want to be smart, strong, confident women who are like separate to a lot of the stuff that's going on with just like, I'm going to show you my ass and, and that's it. And look, Honestly, I have no problem with those those women who are doing that and men are the same doing that, right? But I think you're a beacon of light and and almost gave people, gave a lot of women permission to say, I am really smart here. I can be strong. I can talk about anatomy and biomechanics and pain and all of these things. And I think I think people struggle in that space, men and women struggle in that space to be confident about that. But I think you definitely, definitely more so women um, and you gave them permission, I think is the biggest word to le- one, learn it and two, then actually say, yeah, I know this. I can talk about this stuff. Your vision has been seen. <laughs> it's true. I told that to Katie. I said, I think you're reaching people when you don't even realize what they're getting out of it. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Awesome. yeah big time. I had a girl actually mess- uh, comment on something I posted today saying, you know, thank you to me and you and I think it was Stacy Shadler um, for being, you know, she, she was like, I've I've bought nothing from you. <laughs> she was like, yes. but I have gotten she's like, thank you for bringing, you know, diastasis and pelvic floor content to like a very scary Internet space that is like extremely frightening to try to get through. And like you have just you know, brought it to me in a way that nobody else has and just basically thanking me for that. And I was like, that's the point. Like, that is what, that's like goals met, you know, like that's exactly what I wanted to do was just to be like, cut through all the bullshit and just be like, this is what's actually going to help you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's going to take work because guess what? Everything does. And all of this, like feeding these like quick fix, it just doesn't make any. You're sneaky good at business, Jill. Ah, she is. <laughs> you are. She's, a, really she's great at like marketing and the way she says stuff. She's always mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I don't know how she does it truly. Like it's fascinating. And mm-hmm. I, early on, I used to be like, Jill, can you please help me with this post? I don't know what to write. And I can't do this email. <laughs> and like, I'm stressed out. And I would like make her help me with everything because I couldn't figure it out. It's yeah. crazy. She's just natural. Tell us, tell I us about your, tell us about your case study thing, Jill. Um, yeah, my case study is something that was important for me because I, I just felt it, it started during COVID, but basically once a month, I just, I, I get a bunch of people online and we all get in a group call and I have, you know, a case study subject and they come in it just, <clears throat> it's like seeing a real online person, but we have a bunch of people together sort of like talking it through and I'm kind of like leading the group and coaching it and, and just seeing what we see and trying to get like results out of this one call and every month it's different. You know, it might be a, you know, postpartum moment. It might be a, you know, this, this month, this month we have a hip labral tear. Um, so it's just like whatever it might be, but it's like kind of combining disciplines and being like, what is, what, what can we do to help this person kind of get to closer to their goals and sort of like give them more information than they already have about their own body coming from all of our different backgrounds. So it, mm-hmm. it, it's intention was just to like, and it's like a super cheap price point. It's like, you know, $20 or something to like get <laughs> it's on. Ridiculously it's ridiculously like cheap. cheap. Just to like <laughs> get on call and just want to tell us how many people you get on. 
Um, well, it, it fluctuates, right? So I have some people who like, it's a subscription. You can, you can, you know, come in and out and whenever this you This is want, what I mean about the business. She has a subscriber base once a month. I told you how many people I had. I know I you did. I know you did. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yep. And he was like, why are you calling me for business help? And I was like, <laughs> I just need someone to like validate my what i'm already doing <laughs> no no that was separate no because you were doing something else that was about a different course you were doing but I mean, you asked me about the things that i was already doing and i told yeah. you to have this case and you're like well how many people do you have on it and i told you and you're like oh well you don't need my <laughs> you, don't, you don't need my help then yeah, yeah. um but so it's we have not, two different so we have two different people here we've uh uh someone who runs a like a formal mentorship yeah whatever however many times a year how many times a year katie uh, the goal this year is three. I was three. doing four, but it's too much. Too much. And then yeah. I just have a membership from that only. Yeah. It's not like for regular people. Yeah. And you don't want to do something like that, Jill, do you? You know, I've been asked several times. I, um, I actually run my own like in-person business and mm-hmm. I have like people working for me. Like I have like a real, like, a, you know, kind of like you have one too, right, David? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm kind of doing that. And I just... I don't want to spread myself too thin right now. I've been asked. Um, I do like little, you know, like I said, I kind of have created these mini courses for people to sort of like DIY at, at home type of thing. Um, it's interesting. I'm not a mentorship attendee myself. Like mm-hmm. I don't, that's not something that I've, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't, I don't do that myself. I'm not a customer of it. Um, so I have a hard time bringing that sort of environment. I don't, I'm not comfortable with it. So like, as you can tell, I'm very comfortable with other types of business and marketing, but for some reason, the mentorship thing for me, I can't wrap my head around how I would do it. Even though, you know, I could probably do it. I don't know it in myself yet. Do you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yeah. But you don't have to, you don't have to do it. You just know what you want to do and all of that stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's just, I put a lot of pressure on myself to really deliver. And I mm-hmm. just feel like if I'm not confident in it and I don't have the time for it, then I'm not, I'm not going to initiate something like that. And I'm more comfortable just, you know, I do one-on-ones with people, you know, if they really want to meet with me, learn from me, um, that's the way I'm doing it right now. And yeah. maybe that'll change. I mean, I'm not getting any younger. So at some point, maybe I'll do less of the in-person hands-on stuff and more of, you know, shift my business. But right now I like it the way it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Jill is sort of, I will say this, you have much res- more respect for your like time and your life with your family. I do. <laughs> like, she'll be like, you're working on a Saturday. I'm going to go on the boat. Check yeah. you later. <laughs> yeah. I, I value, that's why I quit working you know, the 45 hour a week, like seeing 45 patients a week clinic, um, because it didn't fit with my work play vision of my lifestyle. And so Mm -hmm. she's right. Katie works on the weekends and I go out on the boat. Have a couple of years. How many hours, uh, (laughs) how many clients you seeing now? Roughly. Uh, I aim for like between 20 and 25. Yeah. But if you had 20, 20 or 25 hours. Yeah. Hours hours imagine you had five of those hours to see a hundred people at the same time right no i understand i get i know you do i know you do i get that it's just i have to like put in the 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 work at the beginning to set it up which is fine that takes that that's something i just have to like 
would have to initiate and get started on. But no, I I, I get the math. Mm-hmm. This is coming <laughs> from someone who's in the same situation as you, by the way, who like, I have I don't have that course either. Yeah. Because- but there's something about that I, I truly went into this industry to put my hands on people. Yeah. And so I really enjoy that it fulfills me and so i do like to continue to do that and like i said maybe my my ratio will shift i'll see 10 people a week in Mm -hmm. person and the rest i'll i'll do online stuff you know but Mm -hmm. right now i have i have a lot of people in my in my real life who rely on me i mean i i i talk sometimes about leaving charleston moving to another city you know doing something else and they're literally like holding me down like you cannot (laughs) leave me me either like you yeah. can't like i went to new zealand for my honeymoon for like a month and they were like don't go <laughs> um but i love i'm with you on that though because i have like i don't do as many hours but i do like 10 hours a week of training my in-person clients um which mm-hmm. used to be when i was building my course i was seeing 30 hours a week of training plus building my course. Plus I had 10 one-on-one online programming clients. I was a nut. Yeah, but you're like cuckoo. My God. <laughs> but I knew that if I wanted to get to the place that my, I wanted my business to be and have uh, like, I'm getting to a place now where I'm stepping back. I've hired people. They're doing calls for me. I have people that teach in my mentorship, but that took a lot of hard work. That was like three years of me going nonstop. Jill kind attest to that. And now I'm coming out of it and I'm like, I have, you know, five, six clients here. I really enjoy those sessions. Like I really like being with them Mm one-on-one and I don't want to lose that either. Cause I think when you stop coaching people real, like in real life, (laughs) maybe it's like strange or you, you don't see things the same way. I don't know. I think what happens with me is like, like we were talking about the whole, like, you can't just learn it from a book type of situation. Like when you take that book information or that course information, and then you try to bring it to a real person. And, and Katie says, if I do this and I do this reach and I tell them to breathe into here, it should work, but it doesn't all the time. And, and, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But like, if you don't recognize that, like, why didn't this work with this person? Was it my cueing? Was it their you know, their um, nervous system state at the time. Like there's a lot of different reasons they're under their their learning style. Like there's a lot of different reasons why the book stuff doesn't work sometimes with people. And if you don't see a lot of different people in real life, you'll never be able to kind of like tweak that all out and figure it all out. You know? You there? Bueller? Uh, Internet is, internet is acting up a bit. Is it G or is it me? Um, I think it's you. Because you're paused, but we're not. Yeah, you're moving. frozen. But are we frozen on your end? Can you hear me? I can hear you, but you're frozen. You're not moving. That looks good, doesn't it? Usually, if I see it, it'll say like internet. It's okay. Jill can finish your breakfast and we can catch back. He must have gone back in. It's going rogue. Can you hear me? Yeah, gotcha. Okay. I don't know. I got kicked out for a sec. It was breaking up for like a minute is all, but hopefully we're still good. It's cool. Um okay. From from we won't we won't we won't go crazy because actually I just enjoyed that chat instead. Um but 
tell me what happens at the pelvic floor when I inhale versus when I exhale. And then what might be going wrong with someone who firstly is, is maybe weeing themselves when they don't want to. I don't mind who breaks it down or if you want to break it down together. Like that in my head. I was like, what are you saying? Um, <laughs> we, yeah, yeah, I got it. Why don't, oh. this is what, this is what Katie and I love to do best, right? Katie will present a very technical explanation <laughs> and then I'll go in and be like, okay, let's, let me, t- let me tell you a different way. So I'm going to have, I'm going to let Katie start. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'll have something to add. Yeah. Sure. I actually wouldn't do that. Like with a, Client, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we know. So I think people have a hard time managing the pressure. So uh, just inhale, you're going to basically have this pressure pushing down from the diaphragm up top. So as you inhale, your diaphragm descends, and then that pushes all your guts and everything down into your pelvic floor, and it should descend, and it should have a controlled descension. And then when you exhale that pelvic floor can rise up and your guts can then push back as the thoracic diaphragm comes up. And so what happens in a lot of people is they have an inability maybe on one side or the other, or maybe posterior to anterior and to actually contract or relax different tissues. So just like you might have, let's just call it a spasm. Like if you do a bicep curl and you've got the spasm and you can't get it to let go, or you have a calf calf cramp. Like I can almost see how your pelvic floor in certain areas and depending on scar tissue from postpartum and all those things where it either can't relax in a controlled manner, or it can't contract well enough, or it doesn't have the length tension ability to contract and relax. And then that ends up. So there's many different scenarios that could lead to the wean, as you say, in Ireland. (laughs) But you just have to figure out where is where is the hangup, and then how do you get that person on a path to allowing for full function of the entire pelvic floor? So there's lots of muscle tissue down there, and it, mm-hmm. it makes a you know almost like a semicircle if you can think of it like that. And all the fibers are running in different directions. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't know. that wasn't like super. No, technical. that was perfect. I actually, <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking I don't have much to add to mm-hmm. that. The- the, gut, the like, guts thing is important, isn't it? Because people don't think about that, but like we have so much stuff inside our, our body yeah. and around the center of our body. So like yeah. the, the, the initial function, I suppose, of the pelvic floor is to not let that stuff fall out of my body, right? And I think that's, that's a good thing you, you talked about with the function of the pelvic floor. The, the pelvic floor has so many functions that I think sometimes it gets overworked. Um, so it's, you know, it's got the function of holding up the pressure in the guts. It's got the function of stabilizing the sacrum and the, the, you know, the pelvis. Um, it's got the function of, you know, sex function and bowel and bladder and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so it, it tends to get overworked and it gets overworked a lot when we see a lot of these, you know, muscular imbalances with the hip and the core function and all that. And then it starts to kind of kick on even more, you know, you'll see, um, you'll see that a lot posturally you'll see people, you know, grip their pelvic floor or use their pelvic floor to assist with hip extension or whatever it might be. I actually see it a lot. Um, and I love your work, David, those, the, the, you know, the hamstring 90, 90 things, but I see a, a lot of compensations with the pelvic floor mm-hmm. and people who are quite frankly, not strong enough to do that level of activity and they're doing it. They're making it work. It looks great. 
and this is what I mean by when you, you have to watch people, it looks great. Mm-hmm. But when you truly look at how they're making it happen, you start to recognize, wait a minute, this person's really gripping the back of their pelvic floor. And what does that mean for the front of their pelvic floor? Yeah. Um, and so you're starting to see like organizationally how they sort of like compensate and make movements happen. Yeah. Um, you so think that gripping a- for people to, to maybe see that gripping, you would look at like, so rectus gripping is one thing. And then the glutes like that just are, are rock hard at the back is, is the other thing. Yeah, those deep hip, those deep hip ro- external rotators, um, which are very, very close to the pelvic floor, um, mm-hmm. both in location and function. Um, and so, yeah, when you see that, you start to think maybe there's a, a tensioning issue going on or this person can't let go. Um, and when you can't let go um, or there's a, a coordination issue with the breath where, you know, the the breathing is off with the function of the diaphragm, mm-hmm. you have a situation where in terms of uh, stress incontinence, which is like, you know, the jumping, laughing, like that kind of leaking type situation, you know, it's, it's sort of like the, the tissue can't hold back the dam any longer. Like, yeah. it's like, it's just tired from holding tension all the time. So it's just like, whoop, and it lets a little bit out, you know? And so that's like trying to figure out that puzzle as you can probably tell, can be pretty complicated because there's a lot of players going on, you know, mm-hmm. there's hip function and core function and, you know, breath work and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. The, um, and, and I think it's important for, especially probably a lot of men listening to this, I would, I would imagine if anyone is listening, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> if, if we ever publish the podcast, um, <laughs> but like, it's not just women with these problems. Right. And it's not just, like a pelvic floor problem is not just presenting it as uh, presenting as like, okay, I can't hold in my Wii. It's like, like all issues at the hips issues, like all different things. Yeah. It's not just a urination problem. Right. Right. And I think that it's an underlying um, contributor to some mm-hmm. other issues, you know, like hip, hip impingement is a big one for me. If I see somebody with hip impingement, because you know, hip impingement can be a tricky one to treat. And I think some people get really hung up and it's like, well, is anybody looking at the pelvic floor? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. It's like, so well, maybe we yeah. should, cause that's yeah. a huge part. If you actually think about where that those muscles lie and what they do. Mm-hmm. So I think it can be a really good tool to sort of unlock some of these really tough to crack cases. Yeah. Um, it can be so simple. It can be so simple. I think is like what I enjoy so much about it. Yeah. And I think why some people reach out to me, is just like, I feel like this is a component. No one's looking at it. Can you give me some insight on what might be going on and, and give me some ideas? You know, yeah. Yeah. Do you do any manual work around that area. Um, I don't do any myself, but I teach like um, self, you know, techniques for people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm not yeah. a, I'm not a, um, Pelvic floor therapist, like, like yeah, yeah. I'm not like a pelvic floor PT. I'm like an ortho yeah. ortho PT that <clears throat> recognizes that the pelvic floor, excuse me, <clears throat> that the pelvic floor is like part of the human body, and yeah. that like, um, maybe we should like talk train it and talk about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's very trainable. That's the very interesting thing. Very and trainable. I have seen quite a few male consults online mm-hmm. for pelvic floor, and I know Jill has too, because mm-hmm. it's. All they're just going to have hernias or they're going to have sexual dysfunction or they're going to have a trouble urinating. Like it's all like the same stuff when that bladder gets pressure pushed on it. The only difference between us and you guys is we have an entry or an exit (laughs) that allows for us to pee on ourselves, And we have a uterus that is bigger every 
months and gets bigger and puts more pressure down there. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. we have, well, and we make humans. So let's face it, that's pretty different, but (laughs) yeah. 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 What, uh, what's happening then during pregnancy or after pregnancy, like what changes, obviously there's more, just more pressure in the system then. Right. But like what changes are occurring when you're actually carrying a, carrying a human being inside you and what, how much time you got? Dan? Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> just keep it simple for me now. We should but, talk about the, um, like going into that externally rotated state and ask to have you in changing position because yeah, rib cage. Yeah. Cause I think and it's what, more, it's more pressure pushing down then in that, in the, in that instance, like, so there's down and forward, down and forward. Yeah. Which is what you see, which is what anyone can see. Right. Right. So you live in this open position. So you're falling forward or your yeah. guts are falling forward. You got to get back somehow. How are people going to get back? Yeah. They're going to either lock their knees, shove their hips forward and push their themselves back on their heels so they're heel heavy all the time Mm -hmm. drop their sternum down right like all of these things are ways to get back from a body that's falling forward for you know really i'd say like a good what four months where you actually have more pressure in there that and then it gets really worse because then we start breastfeeding (laughs) and we're now sitting in a slouch position Mm -hmm. we're holding a baby and we're dropping our pump handle and our breasts are super heavy and we're carrying around carriers. So then we end up as sway back. And that's mm-hmm. pretty much what happens to a lot of females after postpartum. So we're all yeah. just trying to open up our ass, <laughs> get yes. our ass back on board <laughs> and get some. That's food. how you got there in the first place. Opening. Every woman. <laughs> opening <uses> the ass. <laughs> 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 David with the good one. <laughs> Um, okay, but oh, so good. It's too early. Too early for me. So, <laughs> it's never too early. So let's right. So there, like the front of the body is open. Everything <laughs> is kind of pushing. <laughs> everything is kind of pushing down and forward. Right. Keep it professional, Jill. Um, yes, down and forward, but then you've also got these tissue changes, right? Like you've got your abdominal wall muscles. So you think yeah. that the muscles have been over lengthened, over stretched. You've got the pelvic floor muscles that are getting this load, you know, constant load on them, getting over lengthened, over stretched. So you've got mm-hmm. this length tension issue that non contractile tissue changes, mm-hmm. which is really tough. Right. Yeah. So you've got your, yeah. your apneurosis of your diastasis. Diastasis. Why do you think your co-contractions work for every single female? Why do I give them to everybody? I'm like, your yep. name is in my course for a reason. Yeah. So well, they're not <laughs> mine, but yeah. Like but you know yeah, what I that, mean. Yeah. What yeah. You're, yeah. What you're coaching those ty- you're just basically creating tension in different areas and teaching people to be really good at that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Genius. <laughs> yeah pressure through the hand and the feet um yeah. yeah exactly and then and then less co-contractions approximately around the spine and like just being squeezed together up there um yeah. but so There's, i was listening to this thing about bait like babies all babies have a diastasis where their abdominal wall kind of separates and opens and mm-hmm. children will actually continue to have it like through early childhood and the reason they start to get rid of it is that their bodies go from gumby and they start to create stiffness in their yeah. body. When they create that stiffness, all of those tissues start to close up. So it's the stiffness that we're talking about that helps to counter yeah. some of those changes, especially in pregnancy with the laxity and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Help help me understand this for a sec. So if if I saw someone who wasn't, let's say, a male, they couldn't be pregnant, hopefully. Um, 
and they were presenting in that posture, that position where like everything was open and pushed down and forward, right? So what you might say to them, what you probably teach them to do is exhale. For one of the first things you teach them to do is exhale and just just no. Why, Katie? Because that's where everybody thinks to start. Back it up a second, because they're they're exhaling all the time. They're exhaling all the time, but doesn't mean they're closing anything, though, does it? Uh, my thought process is very different on this. Mm-hmm. I want to teach people to have a controlled inhale. Inhale, but to inhale, you would have to let some air out first. Yes. yes yeah. That, and I, so I don't, when I say exhale, I don't necessarily mean like a forced exhale or anything like that, but you just have to teach them to get some air out. And I, I think the inhale is where it's at for most people, to be honest, not the exhale, but you have to teach them to get some air out. Right. But yeah. let's say that they can't exhale very well. They can't get much air out. So then they can't get a really nice inhale to come in and open up things for them. But if I was, if, if I was, if I had a human inside me, is that blocking the inhale then? Because yeah. is that the diaphragm that needs to come come down, needs to descend? And is, is do am I not able to do that then if I am pregnant? Yes. No, I think you can inhale. You can inhale, but you're not going to get as deep of a, a move of excursion of the diaphragm as you could if you weren't pregnant. Yeah. Because it's getting blocked. Yeah, I think it would be harder, but I think it, it, there's probably, and this is way beyond my scope, but I would imagine that there's some sort of mechanism that is allowing for that to happen. Like our bodies are smarter than we are. So I'm just, I just think when I'm thinking about it, it's like, if you're like the bro guy that's in total extension and the pump handles up and all of that, Mm -hmm. then you need to start with the exhale. Mm -hmm. But if you're postpartum sway back and you're doing this, yeah. You need to learn how to inhale and, and allow your rib cage to open. Yeah. So I just see them like t- kind of those, like these two yeah, archetypes maybe. Mm-hmm. Of people. I mean, that's very generalized, mm-hmm. but I see it mostly postpartum women. I see this like lockdown here. Down. Yeah. 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 Like I rarely yeah. see postpartum women that are like this. Yeah. But before when they're carrying, they would be more like that. Yes, they might and they might not. So I think a lot of people assume that they're going to be in this like anterior tilt and they're going to be like, but like if they truly lived in an anterior tilt and had their ribs flared all the time, they have this belly in front of them, they'd literally fall on their face. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like they they do the opposite. That's when they start to clench and tuck the hips under and clench Mm -hmm. the butt. And then they got that flat butt that everybody ends up with. They're just pushing hips forward. Hips are going forward. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like they're closing everything off on the backside and yeah. creating that co-contraction of the posterior glutes and the pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. And then they lose lordosis. Mm-hmm. I call it like they start to zigzag a little bit. Like yeah. they start to throw the hips forward. So the shoulders go back. Yeah. So they create this zigzag and the head comes forward to counter that. And it, it just creates all this <laughs> craziness. Um, so I think like, yeah, you have to inhale, exhale, but like positionally, you have to get somebody in a position where that becomes more attainable. Because remember, if we don't have that stacked canister, mm-hmm. then the, the, the mechanism of breathing isn't going to be as effective as it could be. Yeah. Yeah. You know, okay. so it's bold. Yeah. Just helps me clear up that because I don't, I don't work with people, those type of clients. Um, but I, I do to... think it's harder to get an inhale, a deep inhale in when you're pregnant and therefore it's harder to get your pelvic floor to 
re- to respond and react to that breath. Yeah. I feel like the excursion gets less. And so you're not getting that good feedback to the pelvic floor. And therefore, yeah. you know, you end up in a more shallow breathing pattern and then you have your baby and you're stressed out anyway. So it's like, yeah. then that sends you to a whole different breathing pattern. Right. So it really, and, and then that, that state, that neurological state really starts to cascade on some of the things that we see in the human body in terms of compensation. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it's a big picture for sure. Yeah. yeah. I think the yeah. hardest thing about women is about mothers is the expectations that they're going to have time to do any of these things and like finding strategies, like, Hey, you're in your car or Hey, you're like breastfeeding. Like you can, there are actually things you can do while you're sitting there. And like, cause most people, I mean, most of my clients are like, I just can't get down on the floor. I can't find time during the day to get on the floor. Okay. Well, let me give you a seated exercise you can do in your car. Like, mm-hmm. And they're not even dealing with little ones that are running around that they have to care for and think about 24 seven plus a job plus you know what I mean? So that's like, like I think a lot of things that can be yeah. frustrating. It's it's that either I don't have time or when I do have time, I want to <laughs> knock out like the most badass 30 minute hit workout that I can do <laughs> yeah. and like, make my brain feel better. And like, and that's probably like the worst, I hate to say the word worst, but it's like, it's not good for their body. You know, it's yeah. not what they need. Yeah. And so I think that can be really challenging. I think the industry, unfortunately, the mom industry is sickening. Um, to be quite honest, sometimes in terms mm-hmm. of what they're feeding people in terms of what they should be doing and when, and these mm-hmm. expectations. And um, I have my own very personal opinions on that, mm-hmm. but I, I, I think it's doing a disservice to women and I think it's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Even when they go for a, even when they go for a walk, they're probably pushing a pram. So their arms aren't swinging. Exactly. So many things. Ah, you're getting it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This and you know the zigzag stuff that you're talking about. Like I look at that. I'm I I love seeing that stuff where this is why you can't ask someone where the pressure is in your feet because it doesn't matter really because oh I have all the weight in my heels but like I have hyperextended knees so everything else in my body is pushed forward. But like, right. I still have the weight in my heels. So like, right. I don't care where the weight is in your feet because that doesn't give me any information or almost none. Yeah. Or it does like in a weird way, if you think of it backwards, because, you know, Raleigh um, coaches for me, like the mm-hmm. footstep and she's very genius about it. She's like, well, if all their weights in their heels and what's happening up top mm-hmm. to, that's creating that need to be in the heels right. versus just because you're in your heels doesn't mean you're like, heel heavy yes exactly <laughs> I mean, like your heel strike person mm-hmm. there you have internal rotation because you it's like the same thing as seeing an everted foot and thinking it's pronation mm-hmm. like exact right. same thing yeah so. yeah and that's that's what i mean like you can't just presume that someone has weight because they tell you something and for, even before you get into that they don't even know they, they, i've seen people tell me they have weight somewhere in their feet and i'm like no you don't <laughs> like, <laughs> I can, like I can just pick up that part of your foot off the floor pretty much with no weight yeah. in it. So firstly, people don't have awareness. And secondly, how they're getting the weight there is way more important than where they actually say it is. Yeah. So yeah. that's just a side note. Um, what, so what happens then in a squat versus a deadlift in the pelvic floor or what should be happening? Let's say. I'll let you take this one. <laughs> <laughs> Exercise question. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what 
happens? Like, do you want to hear the things people do or just like what should happen? Well, I suppose what should happen is the easiest. What we, what you would like to see happen. So this is a kind of a loaded question, but I, I think for the squat, you want to be able to see the pelvic floor control the pressure coming down. So as you go down in the squat, you probably get multiple changes within the pelvic floor. So you kind of have to let it relax so that all that pressure can come down, but you have to have it be like a controlled relaxation. And this is why I'll often teach, like when you're inhaling, you don't just inhale and like, let the pelvic floor go. That's probably useful for people that need to relax their pelvic floor as a Mm -hmm. strategy to learn how to do that. But when you're in an exercise situation, you need to learn how to inhale, keep some tension on and slowly let that tension go so that Mm -hmm. you're building eccentric strength, just like you would on any exercise to be able to control the dissension. And most people suck at eccentric strength. They can't feel their muscles when they eccentrically load something like that is a thing. And I think the pelvic floor is the same. So as you descend, you want that eccentric strength. And then if you have that and you have some tension down there, then you can get the concentric exhale to push you back up. Mm-hmm. And so when you're squatting, I mean, it, it depends because then you have to look at the asymmetry and all that kind of stuff. But in general, if you can inhale controlled on the way down with some tension in your system and then exhale and push it back, you're going to get that um, kind of stimulus you need. And then on the deadlift, you have to be able to um, open up the posterior aspect of the pelvic floor to allow for the sacrum to mutate. Because if that's clenched and like we talked about the glute clenching and all of that, and then your posterior pelvic floor is clenched, how in the world are you going to tip forward and allow that opening of the backside of the pelvis? So um, you do it by extending your back. Yes. <laughs> and that that's where I find most women leap is on the hinge is on, on the hinge. And it's because the, Counter-mutation of the sacrum is pushing onto the bladder. So all those organs are sort of pushing forward. Then you mm-hmm. hinge forward. So now you're anterior and you can't, when you should be able to get a contraction there in your yeah. anterior pelvic floor and you can't. Yeah. And so there's pressure pushing into the bladder and then you have leakage as you try yeah. to pull off the floor. So, so they're not actually getting length posteriorly. They're keeping the same pelvic shape, extending their back. And then the pressure just pushes forward. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So basically there. keep people can't hinge. Yeah. Can't, yeah. My no. whole my 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 life spray this work is talking to Jill about how to old how to open up our butts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I really feel like we talk about this a lot. It's like insane. We have like joked about this. And then when we do, we're like, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jill's laying on her stomach over a Bosu ball, like trying to massage her posterior pelvic floor. Yeah. Like it's funny things like that, but I don't think that happens with men quite as often, quite as much. Yeah. And I think it's the or maybe anybody else besides us. <laughs> <laughs> no, we have other people that like we like. I literally got a message today from Stacy, and it was like first thing in the morning at like six thirty this morning. And she's like, "My ass is so sore. Thank you." <laughs> we did eccentric loading of hinges. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a good point. When people can't eccentrically load their pelvic floor, they can't open up that posterior pelvic floor. They can't access their glutes. No. Functionally. <laughs> um, you know, so it's it goes hand in hand in terms of like, it, it's just impossible not, it's impossible to talk about like aesthetic training of glutes without considering, you know, some of these more orthopedic pelvic floor type issues. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah. And the, the thing where, where I think about that is people can't hinge, they can't lengthen into those tissues. And so they always need to talk. So the over talk, the overemphasis on talking in the industry at the moment, some parts of the industry is a good strategy for someone who can never open up those tissues because it helps them stay out of a little bit too much back extension because they can't actually get into deep levels of like hinging and open up those tissues at the back. So yes, I will always talk to stop my back doing the work, but I'm never actually teaching those tissues at the the, the posterior, like the glutes, all those tissues to actually lengthen. So talking is a great strategy if you can never ever hinge and but you but your back always talks to you but it's not a good strategy to actually learn how to move well in the long run it's just a just a plaster and it it brings me to a really good point about the pelvic floor is that um there's a lot of guarding of the pelvic floor that's due to safety or a need to find safety okay so there's a lot of Um, emotional issues that people might guard with their pelvic floor, whether it be past traumas, even just emotional trauma, physical trauma, whatever it might be, Um, feelings of shame, feelings of fear, feelings of whatever it might be. You'll see sometimes people are even just thinking, worried about something and your mind just starts to wander and that's where they start to feel tension build. Okay. So, Mm -hmm. um, and that happens in other parts of the bodies too, but especially with the pelvic floor. Um, And I think that there was a big I see a lot of clients who are in my kind of age bracket and older who were in this, like, you know, no spinal flexion school of thought. And I think exactly what you just said was a lot of people ended up gripping and tucking to prevent, you know, to, to kind of protect and lock down that area um, so that they didn't get a whole lot of spinal movement. It's like spinal neutral, spinal neutral. And I Mm -hmm. think that that did do a disservice in the long run for a lot of people's movement capacities. Um, and it's a hard thing to sort of break them out of those, those motor learning patterns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. When you said that about the pelvic floor with the emotional stuff, yeah. like think about it. Why do you see so many people that have pelvic floor and neck issues? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you're doing, you're shrugging your shoulders up and tensing, you know, that stress response. And that happens in the pelvic floor. There's also a ton of fear that goes along with having a child. And so every day of your life, you, you are concerned for another human being's life that you love. And so there is, there is more of that in your life then, mm-hmm. you know, and I know you don't have children, but I can bet if your dog was running out in the road or something, you, you know, that, yep. and that's your dog. Protection. Like, yeah. yeah. So yep. like yep. that exists. And I think it's not talked about how a lot of this stuff can be emotionally driven too. Yeah. 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 I got yeah. that feel. I got that feeling when we first had Roxy, which is so like people laugh at me sometimes. But like there was one, I was bringing her for a walk in town one day, and she was still like super small. Now she's still small, but she was a pu- proper puppy. Oh, and I was ho- I was holding her on the lead, and we were going across a busy road, or before we went across a busy road, and I like took my eye off her for like a split second. I was on my own, and she kind of just went to go, and it was a car. And I, I just pulled her back. She was fine. Like she wasn't on the road or anything. But that moment was, I, I'm not a kind, the kind of person who gets uh, like an epiphany or anything like that. I'm a very logical person. And just things change for me over time rather than this like, well, this thing just happened and it's changed my life. But that moment was the moment where I, was, I realized like I am 100% responsible for this other life. And that, that, that moment changed me in a weird way. 
And um, yeah, that's the that's the only time. So I, then when I think about people with kids like that, I, I can only imagine how that that feels. Sorry, Katie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that, you know, trauma or the threat of trauma um, does change people in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and you start to embody that. So sometimes that reaction that you just felt and that tension that you felt in that second, and then you kind of feel it for a minute after that, your heart's still up. You're kind of like, it's like this fleeting moment of like, oh my gosh, what just happened? But I think sometimes people get stuck in that state and they can't get out of it. And that's where the chronic um, tension issues start to show up is that even though your mind feels better, your body is still in that state over time. And I think that it's, it's a huge thing that I'm. I consider with my, my clients. And I think it's almost impossible to ignore. I mean, it's a, it's a huge reason why people don't get better, even though they're getting really good advice and really good treatments and really good strategies and blah, blah, blah. It's part of the reason people aren't getting better. And when people start to connect to that, um, they see a lot of good changes. So it's important. Yeah. Okay, Katie. (laughs) Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. You, you, you've, you've felt that more than more. (laughs) I was like trying to hold it. (laughs) I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, I know. Yeah. It just, you know, everything, life has changed so much for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. And, and it's not bad, but I, maybe what I should say is that despite all of these things that, that happened to us as mothers and fathers and um, humans, that there's always a place for, for learning how to walk around the world with more fear in your life and doing so with happiness and joy and not letting it get the best of you. And that is really important because if you can learn how to do that, then a lot of these things that we see from a musculoskeletal perspective will clear up or they won't, they won't haunt you. And so Mm -hmm. when you think about that, just if your listeners care, but just always remember that there's something to find joy in and don't let yourself get chronically paralyzed by fear of what could happen. And that could be, to your family, but it can also be with you moving in a gym setting or running mm-hmm. or like, don't let that fear like stop you from yeah. being happy and, and yeah. human and being and okay. Yourself, like not- permission to yeah. do that, you know, like yeah. permission to move, like these preconceived notions, like, well, I can't like, when I first met Katie, like I was still doing all my like postpartum rehabby type exercises, like like, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready to like really like work out, blah, blah, blah. And one day Katie looked at me and screamed <laughs> at me from across the gym and was like, can you lift some weights, please? Like, <laughs> I think she threw like an explicit word in there. Like, she was like, can you lift some weights? Like, seriously, like, what is, and I was like, I don't know how. And so she brought me to the gym and she taught me and she gave me the confidence on what I can do. And I could feel it. And I was like, I can do this. But like, (laughs) there's this weird transition point where there's a, you're not giving yourself permission. You're, you're stuck in this. I'm not able to do this. I'm not allowed to do this. This is going to be bad for my body, my pelvic floor, you know, my neck's going to kill because I can't do pushups without my neck hurting, you know, all these things when really you just need to be given a really good strategy and the confidence and the permission that you give yourself that that's not you and it's okay you can be right. somebody else you know yeah but like they're real things yesterday i just want to say this because she was she took a yoga class and she hadn't done it in forever and yeah. she she's walking out of the gym and she's like 
I, and she's telling me I've felt so strong, like all these things I couldn't do in yoga, like the sh- chaturangas mm-hmm. and all of that. She was like, it was just so easy and it felt so good because I was stronger. Mm-hmm. And that happens with yogis all the time because they feel like crap. But I think it's because if they're not strength training to get stronger, just doing these like body weight exercises is not always going to get you there, you know? Yeah. yeah. Look, strength is the underpinning quality behind a lot of behind a lot of things. People don't realize that. It is like you wouldn't like it's like really like acrobatic. Like it's like you, you have to have strength to do some of these <laughs> positions and right. these poses. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, movement is movement is like being able to move is is the most important thing, and then you can put strength on top of that. Um, now, people would argue against me there and say. No, if I'm strong, I'm able to move. But obviously, we've seen the opposite of that a lot of the time where people yeah. go so far and st- their strength becomes a weakness. But like the argument would be like, oh, you see, like put a put a power lifter in a boxing match, let's say, and he will get the shit bed out of him. Right. So strength isn't the big thing there. But put put a put a boxer in underneath a 250 kilo back squat, <laughs> they're going to get much more beaten up, I would say, than the powerlifter in the boxing match because their spine will probably snap. So it, like, <laughs> strength is strength is a very important quality that people don't really appreciate, I think, a lot yeah. of the time. Anyway, I think you're in a bit of a rush, are you? Uh, well, I'm okay. I got I, I gave myself extra time. I woke okay. up extra early for you. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll go for, what, are you okay, Katie? Do you have time? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I have to go at 8.30. I'm taking a friend to the, or picking her up from the dock. Okay, what's that? Nine minutes? Nine minutes. Okay, cool. Jill, are you still eating? Yeah, it's cold now, but it's okay. Yeah. Um, it looks like cold and soggy. Okay, well, we just have a few short, oh no, one, one don't go too crazy on this, but then, like pelvic floor then this is probably for you again then katie i suppose but like in more of a two in two things more of like a a bouncing type of exercise not necessarily plyometric but like a hang clean or something like that not where the weight is so heavy that like it's just driving me down into the floor but where i need to have a little just a bit of a recoil what um can you describe a little bit of what's happening there hmm that's a good question. And when know. and when you would use that, not necessarily like super heavy, but I find myself using a lot of like full depth squat, a good squat, like a goblet squat with someone. And then often when they get good at that, I might pair that with like a kettlebell hand clean and they just have a little bounce just at around 90 degrees or something like that. And then, and then back up and it's just to try and get things bouncing basically. But um, I think the setup is important. Like when we're talking about sort of like that eccentric loading, I think the setup's important to get into mm-hmm. a position where you can get that good rebounding position. Because I think we're like we talked about a lot of women with or people with pelvic floor issues like have a hard time with that eccentric component. Um, whether it's because their pelvic floor doesn't is eccentric, yeah. It, I, it's like chicken or egg in that situation. Yeah. Like who knows yeah. what comes first? I then, s- I sort of think like at that point, like if you're doing more dynamic activities. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, you need this like requisite contraction and relaxation of the pelvic floor, but, and you can dynamically train that. Like I'll do certain activities where I'm coaching, like when you 
drop and descend there, you're catching and contracting right. the pelvic floor and that's trainable for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it works I, very well, by the way, yeah, it works well. yeah, it does work really well and people can learn how to do it. Um, but, I, but what I think is also very important is sort of like the work that we do around tendon health and co-contractions and mm-hmm. all of that, because if you're not able to get that recoil at the knee or the Achilles or like all of those things are going to create a system that is able to dynamically, like I almost think of it as like me and my nerdy biotensegrity, but like if I'm doing this, then everything's sort of shaking. Right. And that's mm-hmm. what we want that non-contractile tissue to be able to do is like sort of bounce. Yeah. And I think that women in particular, I'm not sure there's probably a lot of men too, and I'm just dumbing this down, but mm-hmm have some laxity issues because they're connective tissue. That's also trainable. We Mm -hmm. know that. So if you can train both at the same time, both the dynamic ability of the pelvic floor plus the non-contractile tissue to to create that stiffness, then I think that's like the the jam, you know? Yeah. 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 So treating the system to kind of like affect the pelvic floor. Yeah. 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 That's why with my plyometric type of work now, I kind of call plyometrics anything with a, anything with a landing, I suppose, which maybe isn't technically the right definition, but I don't care. But I try and, I try and make distinctions between it where, okay, we are going to be nice and stiff and nice and reactive and, and get off the floor. Or we are going to like do like real sinky bounding type of work where like we really yield, really relax down and then just spring up gently and, and like allow your body to like almost fall into that position with it and go with it. And I think the mistake that people make is they do all of their plyometric. They don't realize they're making this mistake or they don't realize they're doing it, but all their plyometric is, is somewhere in between both of those things. So they're not quite stiff enough and then they're not yielding enough and they just don't get any, really anything of either of it. Yeah. I I agree too. And for those drops are like the yielding that we do. Yeah. 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 And Jill will tell you like, that's when she like was like, Oh my God, I finally feel my glutes working. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, well, you're eccentrically loading them and you're letting them go. Yeah. You learn to do that. And yeah. And I mean, for me, so- honestly, like the more like you can organize the system, like the less I have to think and it actually just does it on its own, the mm-hmm. better. Cause I think, especially with pelvic floor, like we can get so heady with it that it it's actually counterproductive. Like if you're just really focusing on breathing, it's like, you get really like kind of stressed out in the process <laughs> and that like, yeah. It's counter-effective. Yeah. So if you just create a movement that naturally makes all of that happen on its own, that's like the jam, as Kate yeah. would say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I do think there's a problem with that, that it's always been trained one way or the other. And mm-hmm. I think you can bias towards one side of the thing, depending on the person's how they present. And if you've got someone with a lot of laxity, maybe you need to be doing more like pogos and unloaded sort of um, concentric biased plyometrics and then if you've got someone that's got way too much tension in the system and they can't relax, then maybe you need to be doing mm. some of these yielding activities. And then at some point you're doing a little bit of both. And maybe and they need a little bit of both. <laughs> at, yeah. That's athleticism in my yeah. opinion. That is, that's the epitome of, well, for me, it was gymnastics, right? Like you can create this quick bounce that creates a lot of power, but you can also roll into the floor and, and yeah. let everything go. And, and that's very, that that is variability. Mm-hmm. 
that's parkour parkour that's why parkour people are so cool because yeah. you can see them like go hop 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 all over the place and then they come into this landing and they just like their whole body extends the collision for as long as possible and yeah. they just kind of roll out of it and it's like how did you not how did you survive that landing yeah, it's, it's so incredible it's not explode <laughs> yeah they just extended like and they just go with it and They're that's cool. yeah in the, i'm thinking so much more about that in the rehab process now about like i think that come that work comes first for a lot of people and then they need to get more stiff as they get closer especially if it's like running and change of direction and stuff but then it's the opposite where if you had an achilles tendon you might do a lot of the bounding with a lot of yielding work and like just relax, like slouching down into a, a slouching bound or something like that. And then I might bring in more stiffness work into it versus let's say it was a, a knee issue. I might start with more stiffness work, pogos, try and train all them qualities in the lower leg and the, and the foot and the calf and the ankle. And then after that, I might bring in more yielding qualities to like slouching down into the bounds and longer stuff like that, because I'm starting to bring the knee through more range of motion now. So that's how I'm starting to think about it. But I haven't fully figured it out yet, but that's probably the first time I've said it out loud to anyone else. Yeah, I'm curious, like. Now I'm interviewing you. I can't, <laughs> I can't, wait, I can't wait to have you on our podcast. <laughs> so we can ask you all these questions. So how come the Achilles you would treat differently in that scenario and, and flip-flop it from the knee? Because I might not necessarily, but I, I if I want to keep in some kind of plyometric qualities, but at the moment, they're not able for that. So at the moment, like... If I do a stiff-legged pogo, that is that is kind of stretching the Achilles, number one, but stretching it quite fast, number two. So if I do a more of a slouching bound where there's longer ground contacts, I'm stretching mm-hmm. the Achilles, but not stretching it as fast, maybe. Mm-hmm. And I'm not requiring that like that recoil or, or I'm using a much more concentric muscular strategy rather than an isometric strategy then. So I'm not asking the Achilles to generate as much force for me. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. The tendon health. So you might be interested. The tendon health stuff is really interesting from a the woman's health stuff that we do, because the, when you talk about like a diastasis and you talk about like the fascia, uh, the apneurosis that like separates the rectus and all it's essentially a tendon, mm-hmm. right? So if you can train it like you would tendon training, you that if you understand that, you can start to understand how you would bring like a separate abdominal separation back together, which I think is really cool. Yeah. Or even just create the stiffness required underneath it because there's like the gapping, which is one thing, the width of it, but then there's also like the depth and the squishiness and the tension. And those are two different signs of uh, a system that's not integrating well. So. Mm-hmm. I think that's cool. If you know that information, you can really roll with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. In a much more dynamic, you know, athletic way. Mm-hmm. I think the, the research on all this is, is just changing so quickly too. Like I've had to redo my tenant health presentation probably three times already. And it's only been like two years yep. because I can't, it's like, Oh, all of a sudden I'm like, I read this and I'm like, ah, you know, I, I was teaching it wrong or, you know, it's changed or whatever. And, so it's hard. I don't know that there is like 
away, but I make your process, thought process. I just wanted to hear because I think that makes total sense to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. you, you just kind of have to prop, you have to critically think through it. Yeah. Who knew? <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, who knew? <laughs> okay. Give me a couple of questions, Kate. Do you have to go? No, you're okay. Okay. Um, okay. What advice would you give to a woman starting out in the industry? And then also, what advice would you give to a man who maybe is working with more women? So for the woman starting out in the industry? They don't have to be starting out, but just kind of, yeah, they're looking to do maybe more of the stuff that you do. Find a mentor and somebody that you trust to ask questions and read a lot, read books Mm -hmm. and read research and read and don't just get all your information from courses and podcasts and Instagram and Instagram. Like, yeah, like, and YouTube and all of that, like read books. It's, and it doesn't even just have to be books about movement and then find ways to create comparisons to the information that you're learning. So like I might look at a tree and relate that to a human body because that's going to help it sink in into my mind. Um, and so that's very empowering, I think, for women to, to do for everybody, for everybody also. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What was the other Like, so men that are, are, are working with women, is there anything that they should know or they don't, that you don't think is considered? Um, I think just recognize that the complexities that are involved with being a female in the world are, are tremendously, um, diverse more complex than a man and that's not to say it's it's better or worse it's just a reality of having of bearing children and having that um responsibility and knowing that you have you that you might have that responsibility in your life amongst Mm -hmm. other hormonal things (laughs) yeah i was gonna say hormonally it's a big deal Uh, we talked about laxity a little bit that's one of the biggest reasons women will fluctuate with laxity is their cycle and the time of, um, and the same time their cycle. So, um, I think it's important for men to recognize that they don't have to fully like talk about it because if they don't want to, but to recognize that there are going to be fluctuations and there are lots of books out there about, um, training women and, and what, you know, how you would train somebody at different times of their cycle. Yeah. And I think that that's an important thing to consider because you can, you can seriously set somebody back. Um, by training incorrectly at the wrong time. So I think that just knowing, just, I mean, it's not weird. Like it doesn't have to be weird. I think that's the biggest thing. Like it doesn't have to be weird. If you're uncomfortable with it as a man, find somebody in the industry who can help your client. um, And then maybe give you feedback on what's going on also. And just, you know, kind of team up with people. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, in terms of both men and women, like read through the bullshit, I would say, like read through, like, just don't, like all this stuff that's out there, all the like woman, you know, it's just, there's so much crap out there. That's just not helpful. And I think that if you can really get down to like, what's the truth of everything is, then I don't know. And, and, and say your, speak your mind, like, just say it. Who cares if you're wrong? Like who cares if somebody judges you put your female voice out there for other people to learn from. And the more you teach and the more you put your voice out there, the more you're going to understand. So just keep, you know, it's okay to be wrong. I've been wrong a thousand times on Instagram, I swear. 
And people will troll you for it too, right? Like, how could you put that up there? Especially as a PT, right? Like I'm supposed to be all like evidence-based and all that (laughs) stuff, you know? And it's like, well, if it works, it works. Like it's at some level, you have to kind of just like help give people options, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's just, if it doesn't work for you, that's fine. It's not going to work for everybody, but it might help this one person. And if I can like give that to somebody, then I think that that's a gift and don't let people bring you down for just sharing your own thoughts and your own ideas. Because if we all just rattled off what we learned from everybody else, then, you know, we'd all just be sheep. Yep. Yep. Um, what? Okay. I have a, I have a generic question. You're going to be trapped on a desert island for a week. You're not allowed to bring family, and the two of you are there. So you're, oh, you're no. allowed. Yeah, <laughs> I know you can have your own island if you want. I don't mind. I'll leave you decide. So either you'll be together, and you have to bring. You're allowed to bring like three coaches or three people of influence with you, like three people of sorry that would it might have influenced you or would you would like to meet or something like that. Um and no family allowed because that's the a copy. Is it like company? Is it survival? People always is ask it... the goal of this. Just the goal. No, you can Are just we like bringing people to just chat with. Or are we like trying to survive on this island? No, who, no yeah, no, your your survival is guaranteed, let's say. Okay. Um so and you're gonna get home, we'll collect you in a week's time. But like, so who would you like to learn from or spend some time with? Um yeah. it doesn't have to be like a coach in the industry, but someone that you think might have a positive influence on you. Katie, I bring Katie. No, she's there. She's there. And you can have three each or you can decide on the three together. Why well, bring my child? No. Oh, come on. No families. No family. No family. Okay, I didn't hear that part. Sorry. I was thinking about the island and the survival. Um, <laughs> this is a tricky one. This is so tricky. Because you often hear the question asked, like, who would you bring for dinner? But like, if you had a full week with someone, who would, who would you bring? Yeah, I was going to say that that is like a question. Um, this is really hard. Why is this so- I should send this question beforehand, shouldn't I? I know. I feel like I would bring you. I think you would be fun to learn some stuff from. And I- I'll be there anyway. Let's say me as well. Oh, You're just on. looking for a cop. Okay, okay. You can have me as one. So you still need two. This is hard. Why is it so hard? I mean, I think it's just, there's so many people. Like it's, I don't know, maybe Stacy. <laughs> That's funny. I thought of her too. Um, we have this friend, Stacy Shadler, who's in the industry and she's not only smart as shit, but she is just funny. And I think that she would just make us laugh. And he wants to know who we'd want to learn from. No, no, I, no. If you want to choose Stacy, so. you can choose Stacy. Come on, we have to have some sort of humor and, and laugh. Yeah. Yeah. Who we learn from? There's somebody that I am interested in learning more from, but I haven't gone down that rabbit hole yet. And that's Diane Lee. Yeah. And I'm really interested in her foot and pelvic floor work. Mm-hmm. So I would like to learn from her. She's mm-hmm. ring theory. Ring theory? Um, I don't know. I can't remember. And I also would like, like, I am very interested in the non-contractile tissue and Jared Boyd does a really yeah. good job of breaking that down. And his brain, I would just love to pick his brain for longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he came on as a guest speaker one time. That yeah. was pretty fascinating. Perry's pretty. Perry's good. Yeah. Perry Nicholson. He's so outside the box. He's great. I would like to bring him. You'd have some limps if you, if, um, if you brought him. Oh, I know. Um, 
oh, what's his name from PRI? Mike? Mike. Oh, yeah. Mike Cantrell. Yeah. Cool. See, you're coming out with some names now. <laughs> See, they so have funny. to have a good personality, I think, if you're on the island. Like, you can't. They have to have a good personality, I think, if they're on the island. Sure. That's why I'm like, I got to get the, yeah, exactly. Like they the have personality to. matters. Yeah. But then I'm also trying to think like, I want a well-rounded group, right? Like I want, I want you because you got like the foot, the co-contraction stuff. But then I want like, I kind of want like a head, neck, like teeth guy. I'm kind of interested in that stuff. So like, you like that more than me. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I think that's a personal endeavor. Yeah. Um, but like, there's this guy, um, his name is like ask the dentist, um, his handle on Instagram. I can't remember what his name is, but he's a dentist and he's, he, it's like a functional dentist. And it's just like, like, I don't know. It'd be cool to have yeah. that kind of stuff for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to start putting like the throat and the head and all of that back in with like the diaphragm and the pelvic floor. Cause you got like the three diaphragms. And I think that yeah. understanding that connection would be really cool. Yeah. yeah. Graham I think with Scar the is one I would pick. Too. Who? Who? Graham Scar. Who's that? Uh, biotensegrity. Yeah, it's just be- like a really fascinating viewpoint of, okay. of the human form that okay. is like mind boggling. I was going to say maybe something somebody who's outside of what we're the what we're in the nitty right gritty mm-hmm. abroad. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we have like fifty people now. <laughs> okay, that's it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Cool. Anything else to say? Thank you Thank for having you. us on and. We can't wait to have you on ours because yes. we just start, started scratching some services and topics that I'm like, oh my gosh, we got to get into that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, what's the plan? Have you reviewed the year, the year that was? Because this will probably be out towards the end of the year. Um, have you sat down and done your yearly review yet? Not of your podcast, but just of yourselves and your life and your business. David, you know I don't do that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Katie, Katie will. <laughs> or maybe not this year, Katie. Maybe you won't. Um. Well, <laughs> I hope I get into therapy soon, which I don't plan on. <laughs> but no, I mean, you know, it's just been. I'm moving forward, and I'm excited for 2022, and to like just embrace my newfound respect for human life, yeah. and that is in all things, you know, all yeah. the things. So yeah, Katie has become much more of a take no prisoners person ever since this, this event happened. And I tell her she's becoming more like me <laughs> and I really enjoy it. So I, I'd like to see where she goes with mm-hmm. that next me year. Me too. Me too. Yeah. There's no yeah. time for people's bullshit, is there? No. <laughs> okay. Thank you both very much for coming on. Um, I know I kept you longer than I, I expected, but oh well, people can wait. <laughs>